Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Southeast Radio. In a properly performing economy, conservative businesses aim for an even split of income from both public and private clients. However, in times of recession, business owners are often advised to lean more into public clients and public contracts. So in the current economic climate, tendering for government contracts has never been more important. But how do you go about it? Ross McCarty from Keystone Procurement joins me now to share his advice on unlocking the vault to public contracts. Ross, it's been a while since you last joined us on Business Matters, so perhaps you could remind us about what Keystone Procurement is all about. Well, Carl, one of the things that we do is uh, we work with both public buyers, charities, and also suppliers on both the buy side. That's when they're looking to source things from the market, whether that's construction or goods or, or services. And we also work with suppliers to help them understand how they can sell into those buyers. So obviously, we don't we never work on both sides at the same time. There's very few people that know more about tendering in the Irish market than you, Ross, I have to say. And at a time when many businesses are seeing their sources of revenue disintegrate, government contracts could present sustainable and lucrative opportunities for these companies. Yeah, they, they really do. They're um, what we often refer to as a recession or even a depression buster, because what you get access to through state contracts, particularly if they're, if they're multi-annual in nature, is cash flow. And one of the good things about the state is, firstly, you know you're going to get paid, uh, providing you do the work and you deliver to the standard required. And secondly, they typically pay within 30 days. And uh, as you can understand, uh, and we've all seen it, with whether it's with the clients that we would work with or companies that you'd know from around County Wexford, um, getting paid within 30 days in a year like uh, the one we've just had is pretty much a platinum contract. Now provide us with an idea of the size of the government or public procurement market both north and south of the border. It's quite substantial. So in the, in the year that we're in this year, it's obviously going to be inflated by lots of healthcare spend, PPE spend and things like that. But notwithstanding all of that, the total expenditure between capital works, which would include the kind of the national capital plan, Examples of that, people would have heard about things like the Greenway plan, the various greenways in Wexford. Uh, they would have heard about the, the works plan for Rosker Europort. They would all figure into this. So there'll be pre-works, consultancy, all of these kind of things and multi-annual projects are happening this year, next year, the year after on the capital side. And then on the operating side, as in the current expenditure that happens every year as part of our taxes, north and south, you'd be looking at well in excess of, of, of £20 billion per annum. And how can business owners access a list of the public contracts that are up for tender at any given time? There's two main platforms that people need to be aware of. There's the main state platform, which is known as eTenders, and the, the website address is etenders.gov.ie. And if people Google it, they'll find their way to it uh, quite quickly. Uh, the second one, which is really only for construction and it's for minor works, uh, and that's work works up to a million and also for plant hire, is run by the local authority operations procurement centre in Kerry. And they operate it on behalf of all public authorities in Ireland. So anybody who ever wants to do minor works or whoever wants to do plant hire has to go through their platform, which is known as supplygo.ie. And then the last one is for Northern Ireland, which is eTenders NI. And, and if you just put in eTenders NI, you'll find your way to the, to the contracts in Northern Ireland. So once a business has registered on these tender platforms, they will be able to view thousands of live tenders at any one time. But how can they identify the tenders that are most relevant to their business? 
in going through the process of registering on a website, uh, you will have to pre-complete some information on the organisation that, that you're representing, whether you're the owner-manager and it's your business or you're a sole trader. Uh, you'll have a, an opportunity to register on the platform and that will ask you to um, click into one of these kind of reference lists that will put you into a category as whether you're construction or you supply pharmaceutical goods, uh, or whether you're in professionals and technical services. Whatever your category is, you'll select that down. Now, those categories don't necessarily put you into a bucket, but what they will do is they'll, they'll help you understand where you might fit into the market. Now, the next thing that you can do is uh, when you come into all of these places, they all have an alerts engine. Uh, and in completing your profile, you'll have an option to click into a section where you're able to tell the tendering engine to send you a list of, of relevant tenders uh, as and when they come up on the platform. And that will come straight into, into an email inbox. Uh, so if you don't have email, you need to set up these things because tendering is all online these days. And there's a, a series of, of codes that are used called common procurement vocabulary. And uh, tendering is and procurement is a technical area. So I, I, while I'll apologise in advance, it is what it is. There's 36 parent code categories and every business basically under the sun fits under one of them. There's practically no, uh, no business that doesn't. So everybody is in one of these 36 families. Uh, many businesses are spread across more than one. Now, some tenders will actually comprise of more than one stage and two other emerging areas in this respect are dynamic purchasing systems and framework agreements. Talk to us about those. Starting with dynamic purchasing systems or DPSs, this is a new and emerging trend in procurement and it's typically for, for goods or services of uh, low complexity. So that could include things like printing, it could include things like security services, it, can, it certainly includes tree surgery, for instance, uh, Irish Rail have uh, an open dynamic purchasing system at the moment for tree surgeons. So, and the way that this, these systems work is that they're always open. So you're, if you, um, there isn't a, a set deadline. So if you decide, and let's say um, they've notionally opened it for six years, if in the third year of, of this dynamic purchasing system you decide, oh, I think I might actually pivot and do a little bit of public work for Irish Rail or the OPW, uh, you can go in pre-complete the form and providing you meet their criteria in terms of manpower, financial turnover, that you've got tax clearance certs, you can just simply join the framework and start quoting to pick up work. So if a dynamic person system is there and you're in trades or in any of those kind of areas, I'd strongly urge you to look at them because, uh, uh, because they're easy, relatively easy to get onto. And if you can't get onto them in your own right, you can look at teaming up with other businesses. And I know we're going to talk about that in, in a little while um, around how you, how, you, how you can do that. Now, the, the last part that you asked about was a framework. And, and a framework, the best way of describing a framework is that it's an umbrella agreement. For most state bodies, they last for up to four years. And they cover, uh, I was only looking at, at, at uh, the list of frameworks earlier today, and there's 135 live frameworks at the moment covering legal services, accountancy and audit, banking, financial technology, everything you can think of under IT services, except website development. 
the way. That's explicitly not on a framework. But graphic design is marketing services, event management, training. So it covers a huge range of areas. Now, there's two really important things to know about these umbrella agreements. The first is, if you're not set up and configured for these alerts, there's a strong chance that you're going to miss a, a contracting cycle. And if you miss a contracting cycle, you can be locked out for up to four years from a framework. So it's really important that people are aware of the cycle uh, for their sector and they know when these big opportunities are going to come up so they can work towards them. That's the first point. And the second point I'd make is it's about getting on the framework. It's not about how much you can do or how how close you think you might be to meeting the criteria. If you're serious about trying to get onto these national frameworks, you're going to need to uh, think about how you are as competitive as possible. And that means you're not training for the community games, you're training for the Olympics. And that requires a different mindset. So once a business has decided to respond to a particular request for tender, is it important to develop a plan based on the relevant tender deadline? And if so, what should be included in that plan? The first question I'd have is, if you've been doing your planning work properly, if you needed to team up with other people and find other companies to maximise your competitiveness, you'd already have done it at this stage. And consortiums are, are an ex- essential part of the toolkit, an absolutely essential part of the toolkit for micro, very small and small businesses to compete. And very often, uh, these larger contract opportunities have, have a much wider range of requirements than small businesses can cover, can cover on their own. And where where a lot of small businesses really struggle is around the areas of of having project references or customer references that cover all of the areas and show that they can actually do the work. So one of the earliest tasks that you need to do when when a plan comes out is to look at whether or not we meet the minimum criteria required to actually be able to even have confidence that your bid is going to be evaluated. Because there's no point doing all the work and then failing at the first hurdle and your bid hasn't even been read. And then the second thing is quite, uh, very much in line with what you're talking about is once you know that that's, that's there, then you absolutely put a, a plan in place. You need to know who's going to do the writing and what parts are going to be written and developed by who. If you need to arrange insurances, you should be kicking all of that third party stuff off where there's external dependencies as early as possible in the process. But the other uh, and final point I'd make is if there's specific expertise that you need to bring in to cover off uh, areas you also need to kick that process off early. So if you have to write specific things around, you know, ISO 9000 or 14000, various different kind of quality management standards, if there are policies that you need to develop and be able to submit as part of your, uh, your, your, your tender process, it could be in child safety or something like that, where there's a regulatory related element or, or being able to take care of the elderly. Um, all of those things should be boxed off and they should be compliant with the various national standards. And that all takes time. So absolutely know exactly where you're going to be at each stage. So if you've got a four-week submission deadline, I would always advise people to be finished 72 hours before the deadline. And Ross, in terms of the style of writing and the design of the tender response itself, what advice do you have for listeners in that respect? What happens too often in bad tender submissions is that people make statements they can't back, back up and they fall into sales speak, and it just reads unprofessionally. So if, you have, if you're reading a tender where somebody's making wild claims and it's very salesy and it's, you know, we are the leading, we are the best, or uh, we have outstanding expertise, but it's not backed up by any actual statements providing evidence to any of those points, uh, then it can fall very flat in a room where somebody else has provided something where it's all backed up by evidence. 
And of course, Ross, pricing a tender can prove problematic for many businesses as they try to strike the balance between wanting to win the contract and making a profit, which can often be difficult. What are your top tips in this regard? And is it possible for business owners to access previously awarded tenders of a similar nature? Now all local authorities and lots of other bodies um, are publishing every quarter uh, all purchase orders over €20,000. That's one of the easiest ways for people to find uh, data on who the, who the suppliers are within a, a particular entity, but also how much money they're, uh, they're being paid. The, the other thing that you can do is if you have been unsuccessful, for instance, in the tender, you can always work out what the winning price was by reversing the points that you've gotten because the, the winning tender is always the cheapest. Sorry, not always the cheapest, uh, but you will get a per- you'll be able to reverse the formula um, because you know your own price and, and work out from that what the winning price was. And that can often give you an idea as to whether or not people are buying the contract because they're doing penetration pricing, for instance, or whether or not they're premium pricing, in which case you could be too cheap. right? And, and there will be many cases where public buyers are worried uh, that somebody can't deliver a contract because they've gone in too cheap. What I would advise uh, to um, people to do is really to try and market to the market and price to the market and and then uh, so what I always say is it's whatever it costs you to do it plus whatever you think you're worth. There is a small percentage of business owners that remain cynical about government contracting and government tenders as they feel that the winners of some of these contracts are selected before the tender goes live. Well the first thing I'd say is have they ever thought about this when they're when supplying quotes into the private sector? Because it's much more like, likely that somebody's going with Johnny down the road in the private sector because they they obviously are not constrained by regulation in any way. They can they can hire whoever they want. So, regard of course there are problems in the, in in public procurement and there's corruption and there's fraud. But that's there in all markets, public or private, and the charity sector. The more formal the tender process, typically the better it is. The less formal the process, the, the more my hackles will go up because there's been so much standardization across the public procurement process over the last six years. You really are looking for well-defined specifications. You're looking for quite a formal tendering process. And if those things are there, uh, there's a very good chance that the process is going to be pretty legitimate. Uh, the overwhelming majority of public tendering processes and awards, I, I mean, 95, 96, 97 percent plus uh, there isn't a scintilla or a whiff uh, uh, of suspicion over any of these things, and you don't hear anything about them. So really what I would suggest is don't be distracted by um, conspiracy theories and what you hear out there. Um, rather, do your homework and pick those organisations in particular that you're not hearing anything like this about and focus on, on those organisations that have a, a strong reputation for being well-run organisations uh, run by good career managers that are dedicated to public service and and you know if you win it'll be a credit to you and a credit to them and ross finally as the saying goes feedback is the breakfast of champions when a business tender submission is unsuccessful how important is it to obtain feedback from the public body and how do they go about it this is something that i do myself so i, I often have to write feedback for people when we're running tenders on behalf of the state and so we take it extremely seriously and um, and in my own case, uh, I take it seriously because I could end up in the high court having to defend it. So we, we take quite a bit of time to write it. Um, 
the main the main objective for anybody working in, in, in procurement is to maximise competition. It makes absolutely no sense for, for, for somebody that's working in the role as a buyer to reduce competition for services. You're doing a disservice to yourself and you're doing a disservice to your clients if you do that. So I think there's one really important point. Uh, if you're working, uh, if you're um, looking for feedback and you're not getting it, you are entitled to it. But if you're not getting it, um, that's on the organisation, not on you. And uh, what I think is really important for people to understand is that there are a huge amount of, of opportunities in the market. Um, but there are also a lot of uh, people that are not necessarily very high quality uh, that sometimes you're forced to, uh, to, to interface with. Now, if you're not getting high quality feedback, why would you bid into that organization again? I think it's very important that everybody maintains what I call a book of grudges. And it, it's a two-way process. Like if you're not making progress, Make sure that you have a one or a two or a three strike rule after which you don't bid into the organization again unless something changes and you focus on somebody new. Now, when you do get feedback, you need to go down through the feedback in detail. Now, normally in Ireland, uh, you don't get an actual verbal briefing. There's a variety of reasons for that. But you can get uh, sometimes extremely detailed feedback. Uh, I mean, I've seen feedback extending uh, to 16, 17 pages in some cases, that, that people have been provided with, where they're told exactly what they didn't answer and, and respond to, or how their bid wasn't as detailed in convincing them as to their knowledge in a particular area relative, relative to somebody else. So I, I think the main thing that people need to take away from the feedback when they get it is to say, OK, well, our team was marked down, so how could we improve that? Next time out, we're going to bring in an expert in this or somebody else in that area because, or, or we're going to make sure our CVs are, are, are professionally developed or properly developed. Similarly, on, on methodologies, if you're marked down on those, you need to go off and actually maybe talk to your local enterprise office and ask them whether or not there's, a, there's somebody who can help them if they don't really know how to do one. So there's a number of different ways in which people can go off and use some of the good um, resources that are available to them in their local marketplace to increasingly work away at their competitiveness. And the final point I'd make on this is, it, like you, you quoted one old joke, and I'll quote another back at you, which is, how, did you get, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And it's practice. So you're not going to get there in one bound. And I'm still learning, and I've been doing this for 20 years. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Ross McCarthy from Keystone Procurement. And I'd like to thank Ross for sharing his in-depth knowledge with us on Tendering this morning. And I would certainly encourage all business owners that are listening to at least register on etenders.gov.ie. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.